Well, good morning, church. I want to welcome all of you who are joining us online as well. Thank you for being here in person, church. Would you welcome our online folks with a round of applause? We're, we're very grateful. We, we can tell where many of you come from, and, and we're excited from Texas and North Carolina and uh, Delaware, uh, Maryland. That's probably my mother. But um, anyway, um, we're so grateful that you're here. If, 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 you're, if you're joining us online and you're near uh, our campus here, we'd encourage you as you're able and feel comfortable to come and visit us in person as well. Uh, we look forward to, to meeting you and are, are thankful for all that you do. Um, so, so, In-person church, some of our online folks, uh, recently we have a, a, some folks from Texas and, and we did a food drive. You know they had food shipped here so that they could support our food drive? I mean, this is the blessing of our, our, our online church, and I know that we don't get to see them uh, necessarily, but they get to see us, and they get to be a part of the ministry that's being done here. So I'm grateful to God for that, so thank you. Uh, with regard to basketball, uh, the Lord said that I could change my bracket, so I have picked St. Peter's. <laughs> you have to take that up with the Lord. So anyway, uh, we are in the middle of our series, The End of Me. We're looking today at Luke chapter 14 verses 16 to 24. If you have your Bibles, your tablets, your iPhones, however you read God's Word, uh, we would encourage you and welcome you to, um, uh, to turn to that. Luke chapter 14. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 16. You can read all of Luke chapter 14. You can read all of Luke for all I care. I think that'd be even better. But I'm going to begin reading at uh, verse 16. I'm sorry, Luke chapter 14, verse 16. But he said to him, this is Jesus, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir... What you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of these men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Here ends the reading of God's holy and perfect word. May he add his blessings and his understanding to it. Amen. If you're like me, you have discovered that the easiest time to start your diet is right after you've eaten at a buffet. Isn't that the truth? Here we are today talking about, talking about being empty to be filled. We have, um, uh, have been talking about these sorts of things over the past couple of weeks 
And in many ways, we're now returning to some of those Beatitudes and revisiting them in the context of other passages of Scripture, specifically areas where Jesus is offering a parable as we are looking at today. This parable is, um, we could just do a sermon series on this parable alone. Um, Every time I read this parable, I think about my uh, high school days. When I was in high school in my hometown, football was king. Probably many of you have had that same experience. Some of you have uh, probably remembered when I've talked about my football days and um, when I began my high school career, however, I, I, I wasn't playing football. I was a goalie on the soccer team. Uh, actually, the reason I got switched to football is I got red carded. And if you know anything about soccer, you don't want your goalies getting a red card. But I had been told something about, you know, sliding tackles. So I thought as a goalie, I'd go out and tackle the guy trying to score a goal. And I got red carded and my coach said, Nicholson, if you're going to play that way, play football. So I did. But I do remember when I was playing soccer, uh, I would always look at the football team with some sense of, of, uh, of jealousy because, you know, football games are always played on the weekend. Soccer games are in the middle of the week. Uh, everybody comes to football games, just maybe one of your parents will come to the soccer game. Um, when I, uh, I, I, and I would go to the football games too, and when I would go to the football games, I would see that our principal was there. I won't say his name just in case, you know, I don't want anybody to, to go back to him. But I remember one day I, I went past the principal in the hallway and I said, um, you know, sir, I said his name, it sure would be nice if you'd come to our soccer game tonight. I see you're always at the football games. You should come to our soccer game tonight. And he said, Nicholson, I can't come to your soccer game tonight. And I said, how come? And he said, because tonight I have to wash my socks. Now, as a young literalist, you know, concrete thinker, I remember walking away from that exchange a bit confused. I mean, who, wash, who, who schedules washing their socks until I realized that it was just an excuse to put me off? And I know that he was joking, but I'll have to tell you, it did kind of hurt my feelings. And as you can tell, I've not quite got over it. <laughs> Today's the fourth week in our eight-part series, We're Calling the End of Me. So far, we've looked at the Beatitudes and the Gospel of Matthew. And I want to just remind us, uh, just for a moment, what we've already looked at. The first message, we were taught by Jesus that those who are poor in spirit are given the kingdom of God. That is, is that we got to see our own brokenness poor in spirit, our own brokenness, our own sin, our own rebellion, we got to see that in order to be made whole. Then next, we talked about those who will mourn will be happy. Pastor Joe led us in that. Then we learned those who are humble will be exalted. And then fourth, those who are meek shall inherit the earth. That is that uh, the authentic are accepted. And last week, I know we all remember that, right? The pure in heart shall see God. And we talked about what it means to be pure in heart and seeing God and how that's actually one of those circular beatitudes. Now going forward, as I've already said, we're going to be looking at other scriptures that, uh, that, that sort of exemplify the beatitudes that Jesus has been and is teaching us. And today, that one, one sentence summary of the sermon is this, we got to be empty to be filled. You can't fill something up that's already got a bunch of stuff in it. You got to be empty to be filled. Well, let's set the context of this parable here in Luke chapter 14. 
Jesus' relationships with the Pharisees, well, it's not really been that good. If you have spent any time in the Gospels, you can see that there's a constant butting of heads between Jesus and the religious leaders. Most of us know, but I just want to remind us, that Pharisees are meticulous at keeping the law. I mean, these are the guys that make sure that they keep every minute detail of the law. Um, Now, the Sadducees and the priests, oh, they might keep the law. That's two other groups within Jewish religious leaders, but not like the Pharisees. I mean, the Pharisees are so meticulous that the Pharisees make up laws to help you keep these laws, okay? I had in my uh, manuscript, they're sort of like Congress, you know, if you... Uh, you know, if a congressperson gets elected and they don't make up a law, everybody thinks that they haven't been a successful congressperson. Well, the same is with these Pharisees. When somebody becomes a Pharisee, they're constantly looking for ways to make up rules to help the faithful follow God's rules. So this has been one of the areas that Jesus and the Pharisees are really butting heads. These these man-made rules, these human-made rules that aren't in the Scriptures, that aren't what God intended when God gave us the joy and the beauty of his law and Moses and through Moses. Luke specifically does a wonderful job of all the gospels setting this scene up of this conflict. And if you sit down and you read all of Luke, it's sort of this theme that kind of weaves itself all the way through even up into the crucifixion. Way back in Luke chapter 6, Jesus' disciples are picking some grains out of the field on Sabbath so they can eat. I mean, they're just hungry, they're walking around, it's Sabbath, Uh, they go through a field, they pick up some grains of wheat, rub it to get rid of the shaft, there's the kernels of grain, and they eat them because they're hungry, and the Pharisees lose it. They're furious that the disciples had harvested wheat on the Sabbath, which was against the law. Then... In chapter 13, well, actually, in the end of chapter 6, Jesus heals a man with a withered hand. Pharisees lose it again. And then in chapter 13, just prior to us reading today's lesson, Jesus really drops his gloves and begins to preach at the Pharisees, talking to them about uh, how that they're not serving the people. God has called them to serve the people, but all they do is heap burdens on the people. They don't help liberate the people. They don't help set the people free. They forge new chains for the people. And then here in Luke chapter 14, we're almost at the high point of Jesus' conflict with the Pharisees. Jesus has been invited to a Sabbath dinner with the ruler of the Pharisees. This is the head Pharisee, the head dude, the most respected guy of the Pharisees. And we're all pretty sure that this isn't going to be a friendly dinner. They, they didn't invite Jesus to this dinner so they could learn more about Jesus. They invited him here to trick him. We've all been in those situations where we have found ourselves in a moment in life or in a moment in our family or in a moment at work, and we look around and we say to ourselves, there ain't no way I'm going to win here. I've been set up to lose. And there's a lot of us that look at the faith the same way, particularly people who are outside of the church who haven't spent time in the Scriptures or haven't been around good folks like you, gracious and merciful folks like you, 
but all of their interchanges with Christianity, with churches, with Christians has been just a heaping of morals. And they, they, they look at the message that sometimes the church is guilty of proclaiming, even though it doesn't mean to. And the, the non-believer, the person outside says, man, why would I go to a place where I'm set up to fail? I, there's no way I can win here. Jesus finds himself at this dinner with the Pharisees in a den of rattlesnakes. Now, he might, not be get, he, he might not be bitten by every rattlesnake, but he's not getting out of this den with at least, without, without at least one rattlesnake biting him. And here Jesus is in this house full of Pharisees on the Sabbath, this day set aside to remember and honor his father, and if you really want to get into it, and we'll do this another day, that honors and remembers his work in creation. Go to John chapter 1, because it's through the word that the Father created. On that seventh day when they rested. And here we have this house full of Pharisees, and there just happens to be a guy there who has dropsy. Now, dropsy is a condition where the body swells with the accumulation of fluids, uh, edema. We, we don't really know what that means or, or where uh, the swelling occurs. It could be his face. It could be all over his body. But it's a painful disease. It may have inhibited his ability to walk. It may have inhibited his ability to sit down or to recline at the table. But nevertheless, it's fairly universally accepted that this man with dropsy was intentionally invited to this dinner of Pharisees to test Jesus. What would he do? So in chapter 14, verse 3, Jesus asks them, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? You see, Jesus knows why this guy with dropsy has been brought here. Jesus knows that the Pharisees have set him up to exploit his spirit of mercy. Will Jesus let this man continue to suffer because it's Sabbath and he doesn't want to work on the Sabbath? Or will he heal this man who's suffering and therefore break the Sabbath laws? And so Jesus asks the, the tricksters. Jesus asks the rattlesnakes. Jesus asks the Pharisees, you're all experts in the law. You make up laws to help us follow the laws. You tell me, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And the Bible says, and they remained silent. That's infuriating. So Jesus heals him. Now listen, sometimes we Christian preachers can beat up on Pharisees to no end. I'm sure there were some Pharisees that were good people, that loved the people of God, that loved God, that their motivations, uh, their, their actions and conduct may have not been fully according to the grace of God, but their motivations were that people would be connected to God. And, and so I need to say, it's fair to say, the Pharisees weren't against healing. There were healers among the Pharisaic groups. As a matter of fact, the Pharisees weren't necessarily opposed to healing on the Sabbath. You could heal on the Sabbath, but here was the thing. If you healed on the Sabbath, the healing had to be life-threatening. That is, as if you just got robbed and stabbed and a healer was there, yeah, yeah, because if you don't get healed, you're going to die. 
Now, if you, you have a chronic condition, if you have a broken leg, if you have arthritis, if you have leprosy, if you have edema or dropsy, well, you can wait until tomorrow to get healed. You can suffer one more day, can't you, so that God's law is kept. You won't die today. You might continue to be in pain, but you can wait until tomorrow, can't you? So Jesus asks the Pharisees this question. Which of you, having a son or a daughter, I'm sure Jesus would be fine with that, which one of you having a child who has fallen into a well on Sabbath would not have immediately pulled him or her out? I mean, if your child falls into a well, there's a good chance that they'll live until tomorrow, right? Why don't you just, just leave them there and come back tomorrow morning and then get them out of the well? Or if you had an ox... It would survive until tomorrow. I mean, it's an ox, right? It's not even as valuable as your child, right? I mean, it's valuable, but not as valuable as your child. Surely you would wait until the next day to pull your ox out. And then Jesus teaches them. Because they don't say anything to that either. And then Jesus teaches them through this parable. The parable we read today is actually the second parable in this teaching, and it begins with some basic teachings. The first parable Uh, When you have a feast, invite only those who can't repay you, because God will repay you on the last day. God will give you blessing upon blessing. And to that teaching, one of the Pharisees responds, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now, I have read that passage all my life, and I have studied, I I have looked up what other scholars have said about this, and, and no one agrees on what that means. Some think that, that maybe the, this particular Pharisee understood what Jesus was saying and was, was giving Jesus an affirmation. Other scholars think that, that this, this Pharisee was just really excited about the coming of the Messiah when, when the kingdom of God would be unleashed and was just was calling, calling his, everybody around him to that, that hope of that future glory. And, and, and I don't mean to be dismissive, but, you know, m- my view of humanity overall isn't really that high, is it, Pastor Joe? And, you know, I think that most of us are all broken, depraved sinners. Actually, I think all of us are. But anyway, that's another sermon entirely. I wonder if this guy is saying what I hear so often. You know, you've heard of folks who you might even know folks who are hungry or homeless, and somebody will say something like, well, in the last day when Jesus comes back, everyone will be filled and everyone will have a home. And although that's true, it's almost like, well, someday Jesus will take care of it as sort of an excuse that today I'm not going to take care of it. I don't know. Anyway, this man gives a banquet He invites lots of folks in this parable that Jesus continues on with after that statement, and he sends out his servant to let everyone know that the banquet is ready. Now, we need to talk a little bit about this because this parable is so culturally strange to us that sometimes we miss what's really going on here. Kenneth Bailey is a a missionary and a theologian. He was a Presbyterian during his uh, years as a, minister, uh, as a theologian, uh, became rather ecumenical near the end of his life and, and was 
greatly honored among various denominations and groups of churches for his unique understanding of the Gospels. And, and here's why. He spent almost his entire ministry in the Middle East and most of that ministry in rural, I hate saying that word, by the way, rural country places in the Middle East with really, really poor folks who maintained a culture that was centuries old. That is, is that Ken Bailey's understanding of the culture of the Middle East is probably better than any other theologian that has ever written. And he wrote a book called Through Peasant Eyes. And he tells us about the culture of the Middle East and how this parable would have been understood in the culture of the Middle East. If you were a Middle Eastern person and you heard this parable, you would have picked up on some pretty monumental things that we in the modern day, in suburbia or even in, 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 well, in any part of the United States, would not have necessarily picked up on. When a host decided to celebrate a traditional banquet in the Middle East, particularly in the time of Jesus, it had to be, it, it had to be hyper-planned and executed in a very specific way. Most people lived not in big urban areas. Most folks didn't live in Jerusalem. Most folks lived in small villages. And it was an expectation that when a host had a banquet, that there would be meat there. Now, that's strange to some of us because I suspect that, not all of us, but the majority of us have some sort of meat at every dinner. But in the, in the ancient Middle East, and in, even in some parts of the Middle East today, you don't always have meat at dinners, okay? But if you're going to have a, a banquet where you're going to invite people, it's an expectation that you'll have meat. Now, this, uh, this is really the part where the host has to plan meticulously because he's got to send out invitations to folks to let them know that they're invited to the banquet. And here's the thing. He's got to have the RSVPs back. You ever get a card with an RSVP, please call if you're coming, you're like, I don't know if I'm coming or not. Maybe I'll just put it aside until it gets closer to the date, and then I'll let them know. It's not, it, although it may be annoying when we do that today, it doesn't necessarily damage the whole banquet. It would have damaged the whole banquet back then because the host has got to know how many people are coming. So when you put on that RSVP card that you are coming to this boy's banquet, you better not not come. Why? Because after the host has that number, depending on how many folks say yes, will decide what the menu is. And Ken Bailey will tell you that if only one to, maybe two to four people are coming, they'll have a couple of chickens. They'll go kill a couple of chickens, and that's the meat that will be prepared. If five to eight are coming, they'll prepare a duck. If 10 to 15 are coming, a goat. If 15 to 35 are coming, a sheep. And if 35 to 75 people are coming, the host will kill a calf. So the kind of meat would be decided based on the number of people coming. And Bailey then says that once he, the host knows how many people are coming, the kind of meat has been identified, that's when the countdown starts. And it can't be stopped at that point. Why? Because once the appropriate animal has been prepared, it must be consumed. Why? There are no refrigerators. So there's got to be enough people there to eat what is being prepared. 
Now, once the meal is ready, so we know it's going to be on a particular day, now what happens is once the meal is ready, so he, the, the host has gotten up early, he's, he's slaughtered the animal, he's prepared the animal, he's cooking the animal, and as soon as the animal is ready to be eaten, everything is set, the table is set, the olives are put out, the grapes, the figs, the wine, and now the animal is cooked and ready, he sends his host out at that time to everybody who had been invited. So you don't really know what time you're actually going to go to this banquet to eat, but you know it's going to be on this day. And you know it's time to come eat when the servant comes and says, everything is ready, y'all can come now. And then everybody begins to come. As a matter of fact, in verse 17, the word come in the original language is in present tense, which means you need to come and keep coming. So, so, so some, some guests will arrive and, and other guests the servant hasn't gotten to yet, so you don't need to wait till everybody gets there because we gotta, we gotta eat this calf. We gotta eat these, the, the, this, this sheep. Look what happens in verse 18. But they all alike began to make excuses. I'm trying to think of how to do this the best way here. What Jesus has just described here is a subtle ganging up on the host. Because every single person that was invited came up with an excuse of why not to come. What Jesus is is describing here is a village where everybody in the village is trying to intentionally embarrass the host. And look at their excuses. The first said, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five, five, five. Say five with me. Five. Five yoke of oxen. And I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Are you kidding me? These are some lame excuses, church. Who buys a field and then goes and looks at it? I have to admit that, you know, with the housing market here, my wife and I see a house for sale. We don't care what it looks like. We just want to get an offer in as quick as possible. But the truth is, normally, when we buy a house today, don't we go look at it? Don't we have it inspected? Don't we make sure that the basement's not leaking or the roof's not leaking? We don't, we don't pour what would be for this individual a year or two years worth, maybe even more of money, never having seen the field? Who buys a field and then goes and looks at it? The second guy buys not just one ox, but five yokes of oxen. And that what the Bible says? Five yoke of oxen. How many oxen are in a yoke? Do you know? Two. How many ox is that? Ten. This fella has bought ten ox in. <laughs> and hasn't looked at him yet? No. As a matter of fact, in the ancient world, when you bought an ox, it was expected that you could take the ox home with you for several days, if not several weeks, so you could try him out in the field to see if they could pull the plow. You don't buy ox and then not even check them out. 
And then this fellow says, I, I can't come because I just got married. In the Eastern, uh, Middle Eastern culture, uh, when somebody got married, that was a big deal. The whole village came. What? Listen, you would not plan a banquet on the same, in the same week that somebody else was having a marriage. Why? Because everybody was going to that wedding. That, that would have been a huge faux pas. The fact that either he really got married and the host didn't know about it would have been an insult to the host that he wasn't a part of village politics or that the host himself was rude for having done it. Now, you, if you got married, you, you got lots of, uh, of freebies. I mean, you didn't have to serve in the military for a year. You didn't have to pay taxes for a year. Don't you think some of these old rules ought to come back today? When I read these excuses and I recognize what Jesus is doing here, I can't help but hear the pain in his heart. Because Jesus is the host. And Jesus is throwing a party here. And when a party is being thrown by the Savior of the world, I kind of want to go. But everyone here says that they'll come and then at the end they say, nah, I don't want to come. They make excuses. And they're not even good excuses. Now let me pause here for a second. Lots of preachers who preach this passage of Scripture are going to say, y'all need to be better guests. When Jesus calls you, you need to come. You need to come to church because we have our own banquet here and you need to come to that. And although I guess that will preach, I don't know if that's really what Jesus is saying here. At least to us. I don't think this is Jesus saying, you all need to be better. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. Because it's hard sometimes to read through our modern Western eyes. So hang with me just a few more seconds, okay? Look at verse 21. The host says, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. These are the folks, that, that, these are the folks who can't pay the host back. The other thing about Middle Eastern banquets is, is that you would invite folks who would then in turn invite you to their banquets. It was you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. It's not all that different than how we act today, right? And the host is inviting people who cannot pay him back. Are you ready? The host is inviting people who are empty. These are folks who would not normally be invited to a feast anyway. Why? Because they can't do anything in, in, in return for you. And quite frankly, I wonder that if we read this through the eyes of the Pharisees, is Jesus saying that God's judgment is upon them and not upon the crippled, the blind, and the lame whom the Pharisees would have seen as under God's judgment? These are the folks who, if you're ready for this, bring nothing to this table but an appetite. Verse 22, and the servant said, sir, what you have commanded has been done and there still is room. Verse 23, and the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. Now this is a really troublesome phrase for a lot of modern scholars. Why? Because a lot of modern scholars uh, think that this might refer <clears throat> to um, uh, folks who are just simply not 
citizens of the village, okay? These are just folks that live outside of the village and therefore would not normally be invited to banquets in the village. You know, you, 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 when you have your block party, you don't, you don't go three neighborhoods down and invite everybody there. You invite the folks in your block. And some scholars say that this is Jesus uh, foreshadowing the coming of the Gentiles to God, not just the Jews. I think that's a perfectly plausible explanation. But you know who else is in the hedges and byways outside of town? We read this in other gospels and in other parables and in other stories. Who hangs out in the hedges and the byways outside of town? Thieves. Murderers. The dregs of society. The criminals. Jesus says, for I, or the host says through the lips of Jesus, for I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. But the folks who bring nothing, who can't repay, and even the folks who are the worst of our society are the ones who are welcome. Now, what to do, what to do, what to do with this? I've already told you that a lot of preachers would say, hey, you need to be better. You need to be the people who answer when called. I could probably preach a pretty decent sermon about that. As a matter of fact, in researching this, I read lots of sermons by lots of preachers who talked about how we get distracted, how we're not serious, how you need to put down your cell phones, blah, blah, blah. Don't disagree with any of that, but not sure that's what Jesus is talking about here. What would it be? What is it that we need to hear as we think about the end of me, as we think about being empty? Okay, ready? Almost done. Maybe when Jesus is speaking, maybe it means one thing to one group of people and another thing to another group of people. To the Pharisees, it meant, hey, y'all need to listen up. I'm calling you to the banquet, but all that you're doing is making up stupid excuses for not coming. But what does it say to us? May I suggest that you and I just heard an invitation to this dinner, and when we look around, just take a moment and look around. If you're online Take a moment just to look through the comments and see the names that you may not recognize. May I suggest to you that maybe we are the lame, that we are the blind, that we are the thieves, that we are the murderers who have been invited to the banquet. Amen, Pastor. Are you saying what I think you're saying? Maybe. Maybe. How would that change the story? How would it change the story for you if you saw yourself as the one who's blind? How would it change the story if you saw yourself as the one who's a thief? How would it change the story if you saw yourself as the one who 
is empty. You ain't got no more. Well, let me say to you today, if you're a Pharisee, you need to pay attention. Stop being distracted. Get to that feast. But maybe me and you, Maybe if we would be honest with ourselves, we would not leave this place saying, man, I need to empty myself so Jesus can fill me. Maybe what we need to say is, man, I'm empty. I'm empty. I ain't got nothing. And Jesus will fill us. Maybe it begins to slowly dawn on us It isn't that we have to empty ourselves so that we can be filled. Maybe, just maybe, what we think is filling us isn't. Y'all hearing this? Everybody, listen, pay attention to me right now. I'm sorry, I love you. Maybe what you think is filling you isn't. Maybe you're walking around empty and you don't even know it. Jesus is inviting you to his banquet so you can be filled.